Blog Talk Radio. Solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership. This is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, this month, our guest is a colleague of mine on the faculty at Teachers College Columbia University, Dr. Henry Levin. Uh, Dr. Levin is the William Hurd Professor of Economics and Education at Teachers College and is a professor emeritus at Stanford University. Welcome, Hank. Oh, thank you. Um, I extend a special welcome today to our faithful listeners because we're on the one-year anniversary of the show. Uh, One year ago today, we embarked on this enterprise, and the guest was Dr. Dan Dominique. Dan is the executive director of the American Association of School Administrators, and uh, in the months that, that followed, we, we spoke to school board members, authors, and other leaders in the public education endeavor. And we've learned a lot, uh, discussed tough issues, and after a year we haven't even scratched the surface. Um, and, and now we boast an average of over 5,000 listeners per month. So to our new listeners, we're glad that you joined us. Um, today's guest, uh, is a giant in the education research field. His work is important. Read uh, all of his works for policymakers and politicians, students, and researchers. Um, Hank Levin was uh, working in school reform over 30 years ago, and before that, he was engaged in groundbreaking research. Today, we're here to talk about um, an important edited volume uh, from his collection, The Price We Pay. So, Dan. Uh, uh, Hank, I just want to jump right in with you because we don't have a lot of time, um, but I, I, I have read this cover to cover and have been recommending it for years now um, to a number of, of people who have uh, who are in public education, uh, particularly policymakers. But if if I could have you say just a few words about um, kind of an overview. Uh, and, and just to hit on some of the economic and social consequences when we, we don't provide an, an adequate education to our students. Okay. <clears throat> well, first of all, I apologize because I'm an economist, so uh, th- th- that deserves an apology in these days. Uh, having said <laughs> that, I focus on the economics of human resources and education, and this was a work that applied economics of education, particularly to uh, the phenomenon where students do not complete high school. We asked ourselves, what would be a general definition of inadequate education? And there are many of them out there, but but the one that everyone seems to agree with is you're not uh, adequately educated if you do not graduate from high school in this day and age because you're denied all kinds of opportunities not just in the workplace, but also for further training, for further education, and so on. And so we asked the following question. We said, well, we know that it costs the taxpayer to really provide a proper education and to really improve the the completion rate in high school. 
And unfortunately, politicians often talk about the cost, the cost of education. And, oh, you guys are talking about more money. And so what we wanted to do was to say, but what are the consequences in terms of the benefits to society, to the taxpayer, and to the individual of completion? Now, people tell you all the time, you know, if uh, if you get more education, you're entitled to go to college, you can get higher income, uh, and so on. But we thought we'd do this much more systematically. And number one, look at the cost of programs that work, that is, specific programs that have been shown to be effective in improving graduation rates, and not just generally, but we were able to nail down the cost of these programs and on average how many additional students out of 100 students would graduate with each of these programs Mm -hmm. and then on the other side we decided to look at benefits in the areas of course of uh, income of additional tax revenues for the taxpayer who's paying for this health reductions in the cost of criminal of the uh, criminal justice system uh reductions in the cost of public assistance and so on so what we did is we looked at both sides of the ledger but using very um very rigorous economic methods and we found that uh the the cost are small compared to the the benefits that are generated by good programs that improve uh, completion rates in high school. Mm-hmm. And so when you say the cost, give us a, an idea of the kind of the, the, the magnitude. Are we talking about a few thousand dollars more um, to, to uh, uh, deal with the, the cost, or are we talking about orders of magnitude? Well, it depends on how how you look at the costs. And, and if we look at the cost per student, it can be modest, a uh, few hundred dollars a year, all the way up to a few thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the real issue is the effectiveness. That is, if you're spending okay. that amount and you're not, you're only getting one or two additional graduates out of out of a hundred, then the cost per graduate is high, and that's the way we look at it. Uh, the mm-hmm. cost mm-hmm. per additional graduate. So we're concerned with the effectiveness of these programs when we look at cost as opposed to the cost per year or the cost per student uh, without looking. It, it, and, and often that's the way it's viewed. And we compare mm-hmm. then the cost per additional graduate with the benefits that that additional graduate uh, provides for mm-hmm. society and for the taxpayer. Right, right. Well, you know, one, I, I, there were several tables in this uh, uh, book that really struck me. One had to do with the tax revenue loss, um, and that's a big one um, when I've talked to, whether it's mayors or, or city or county government officials um, uh, describing the, the tax revenue loss. Tell us a little bit about what you found with regard to the tax revenue loss. Well, well, basically, someone with more education uh, has a, a better opportunity in the labor market. The unemployment rate is much lower. That is, they're more likely to be employed. They're employed uh, for longer periods. They're less likely to be part-time, more likely to be full-time, and they get higher wages. 
mm-hmm. in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Well, that means that they get higher income, which is great because we want them to have higher income to support themselves sure. and their families and so on. But it also means sure. that they pay higher taxes. And mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the additional tax revenues, it's it's very, very substantial. If you go, for example, from a someone who has dropped out of high school to um, graduating from high school, even not accounting for the probability that they're going to also be getting some some post-secondary education, what you find is that they pay taxes in the hundreds of thousands of dollars over their lifetime greater than they would have mm-hmm. had they dropped out. And it depends upon, you know, whether they're male, whether they're female, uh, their racial differences and so on. Uh, but but they're all in those uh, high ranges. Right, right. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars over a lifetime, uh, it just seems like a no-brainer uh, if we're talking about just from strictly an economic point of view. So what is it that has prevented politicians and, and policymakers uh, from from accepting this reality and and doing something about um, the education um, uh, enterprise in their in their municipalities or in their counties um, uh, is it that that they're short term oriented or what do you think it is that's preventing them from from uh, looking at this research and saying that this is our best investment for the long term. I, I think there are two two things, and you've hit on the first. They're very short-term oriented. They say, okay, you know, we're going to reduce the cost of Medicare uh, and Medi-Cal, and we're going to get higher tax increases. We see all that on, on paper, but that's over time. And what you're saying is we've got to start to invest right now. And mm-hmm. The way we do the, our calculations, we put them in terms of what is called present value. So we're comparing dollars spent today with the value of dollars spent in the future where we've discounted them to bring them back to today's prices and today's value so, so, mm-hmm. so that they're perfectly comparable. But the, the, this idea of short-term versus long-term, you know, I'm going to be elected for four years and mm-hmm. you're asking me to raise taxes and those benefits you're talking about will only occur over a much longer period of time. That, that's mm-hmm. one thing. I think the other is that they're not convinced that we have programs that are going to do the job. And that's something I think we can really work on because, yeah, I think it's true that 10, 15 years ago, we just had claims. This is a great program. It reduces dropouts and so on. Today, we're we're running randomized uh, field trials, experiments uh, that are as good as anything you find in the health area or, or medicine area. Uh, so, so the results from our particular studies are all based on, on highly scientific methods that are applied in other sciences as opposed to just claims of success. And so we have to convince them that these are real results. And, of course, there's another dimension. We don't do this just for the economic benefits. Uh, it makes it a lot better society if we don't have a group of, of people who are really disadvantaged by virtue of poor education. Uh, 
they make better citizens, they make better families, they make mm-hmm. happier people, mm-hmm. they make they participate right. more in civic life and it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And and I mean what we're talking about and, and particularly is this kind of there there are multiple effects through that happen after one graduates from high school uh, gets an education, uh, you mentioned briefly, uh, post-secondary education, but just even um, achieving a high school diploma, that there are all kinds of other outcomes um, that that have been attributed to uh, that achievement. And I'm just thinking about um, one of the, the models um, that you have in there, you know, since we're, we're talking about outcomes, um, to education attainment, and I think this was just really fascinating, um, where it, it uh, describes uh, ways in which education works to improve health. A lot of people don't think about it, but this is a fairly, uh, it's a complicated but simplistic uh, model where if you if you get education attainment, um, you get a degree, which leads to uh, a better occupation and income, which leads to job benefits. And job benefits include health insurance, which might be uh, also uh, uh, a direct uh, impact on um, uh, treating high blood pressure or any other kind of uh, uh, ailment. Um, But there are also some benefits to uh, having a better occupation outcome in terms of stress levels, Um, better um, uh, occupation and income, obviously, uh, fewer stressors related to lack of money and and um, and which cause psychological risk factors and stress mediators, which could also lead to cardiovascular disease, cancer, infectious disease uh, that are all uh, um, related to um, uh, health choices and and life choices, decisions around um, um, food and and behaviors. Um, so the, the whole notion that um, education impacts health is also something that we've you know, we've, we've heard for a very long time. Um, why aren't more um, people in the medical field um, uh, speaking to this as well? Um, and, and from some of these results, it's just some really compelling results um, to what you've seen in your in your research. Well, uh, public health people are. Uh, public health people and looking at all of the uh, causes of health status, of poor health status, find that mm-hmm. education is the most important single uh, determinant. And here's here's a shocking number. I didn't believe it until I went directly to the Center for Disease Control uh, in Atlanta to get the numbers. But the difference between a high school graduate and a high school dropout in terms of life expectancy is between five and nine years. Average is wow. about seven years less. And a lot of this is, is because living conditions, shelter, nutrition, uh, th- there can be lifestyle differences, Lack of uh, lack of access to to medication, depression, just a whole number of things that then in turn lead to all kinds of uh, serious disease and chron- and chronic disease. Uh, we know that chronic illness is much much higher uh, with with people who are high school dropouts than high school graduates. So you know 
a life expectancy difference of seven years is not something that we should look at and uh, and stand by. And public health people are really aware of this and understand education and understand its importance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I I am. Uh really fascinated by that and and I find that hard to believe as well. Um that's a significant uh difference in, in life expectancy. Uh to our listeners, if you just uh tuned in, we have uh Dr. Henry Levin who is a professor at uh, Teachers College Columbia University talking to us about the price we pay, economic and social consequences of inadequate education. Uh if you're interested in um Calling in and have a question for Dr. Levin, please call at 347-826-9029. You can call now, 347-826-9029. Our lines are open. We'll continue with the conversation. Um, um, Hank, you know, one of the other pieces um, that as we move further in the in the book has to do with crime and criminal justice. You mentioned that briefly earlier. Um, and and I think we've we've heard the the argument before about um, the co- what it costs to put someone in prison for a year and and the last number I heard was something like thirty three thousand dollars a year that may be significantly higher now um, but certainly we don't uh, per people expenditure in uh, there's not a place in the country that spends that kind of money on on students. Um, uh, what what do you think the I guess the conversation is now with um, prisons being big industry for uh, some communities that have have lost their industry and and they're putting um, prisons in their places and the argument uh, is that there's there's business there but but what, what are we talking about when we say in real numbers when we say that the, it's more expensive to put someone in prison or to have them in the criminal justice system. What, what, what are we yeah. looking at? Well, everyone, of course, settles on incarceration. What they, what they forget is it's not just incarceration, but uh, it's the criminal justice system, which is very expensive. Sure. It's the overall policing system out there. All of these are much larger than they would need to be if you had a much more educated population. Uh, people who drop out of high school, don't have many opportunities, and they get involved in mischief. Uh, and in some cases, it's not it's not the serious mischief that the society deals with. I mean, I mean, uh, small amounts of uh, of uh, substances that are prohibited can get long sentences. Uh, too many of our youth, particularly black youth. Are in prison, so that's costing a huge amount relative to if we can get a decent education, you know, for 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 these kids. Now, the the good news is that the prison population is actually going down in America, not not enormously, but it's it's moving in a different direction, you know, and it could move in, oh, down and even <laughs> even faster if we okay. put the right uh, reforms in place. Yes, and I, I um, you know, the the social savings from crime reduction um, are enormous. Uh, enormous. You, uh, you know, that there are certain groups that are 
um, are disproportionately affected um, by this, but you're talking about, you know, the uh, property loss. Uh, you mentioned incarceration, but, you know, victim and uh, victimization uh, costs are are tremendous, and there's a lot. Of, and, uh, and, and, and you know, prisons are schools, schooling the wrong mm-hmm. thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. when people come mm-hmm. out, they're not rehabilitated. They've learned to deal with other uh, prison populations. It's exactly the opposite of what you'd want. Mm-hmm. Here, here are some numbers, just quick numbers that, that are interesting. 20% roughly of the overall population of this nation are high school dropouts. But 37% of federal prison inmates 54% of state prison inmates, 38% of local jail inmates, and 33% of all probationers are high school dropouts. Wow. Significant. Yeah, that yeah, it, significant. yeah. It's really large. And one of the things I should mention is a lot of people say, well, yeah, but these people are different in other ways too. Listen, the social science of today tries to take out other kinds of, other kinds of effects. So what we're really talking about is, is the fact that for lack of education, uh, most of these costs are borne by society. Uh, and, and education itself could have a powerful effect on reducing the cost to the taxpayer and to the society and making a much better society where there's, where there's full participation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, absolutely, and and you mentioned you know programs earlier. Um, if we could, in our last uh, few minutes uh, together, uh, last ten minutes or so, um, I want to shift a little bit to some of the solutions and interventions that um, you you have in terms of school reform uh, in the book. And and so I'm looking at this, and there are five programs that you list, and interestingly, one is a preschool program, um, another is a uh, reform program based on um, learning communities uh, with family advocates or what have you. Um, the third one is a child parent center program. Um, the fourth one is a class size reduction program, and then finally, teacher's salary increase. What, what's interesting to me is that uh, it looks like three of the interventions out of the five that uh, raise the rate of high school graduation are uh, on the front end of, of the education system in terms of preschool, families uh, as an intervention, um, you know, somewhat paying it forward, if you will, but that the investment on the front end appears to do a lot um, on the back end. So let me give you an example. So you recommend uh, looking at the Perry uh, preschool program, 1.8 years of center-based program for two and a half hours a weekday, uh, child-teacher ratio of five to one with home visits, group meetings to parents. 19% more high school graduates with that intervention alone. Yeah, and, and that's a pure experiment where, where kids were just randomly assigned to so-called control group where they didn't get any of this and where the other group was randomly assigned to, to the Perry mm-hmm. Preschool and mm-hmm. they were followed up to the age of 40. So mm-hmm. we know what happened in 
much of their adult lives, uh, the differences between the two groups. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do want to just break in, though, and mention one thing, that these are examples of really good programs that have been evaluated very tightly. Mm -hmm. So, so mm -hmm. we, know, we know what happened. But there are probably many other quality preschool programs that have not been evaluated, but, but they have some similar features and, and probably are effective also. And then I have to tell you, there are, there are preschool programs that are not of high quality and that don't have these effects. So this, this is where we have to be careful. Simply saying, gee, preschool works. Well, yes, quality preschool works. That's the word that we have to get in there. And quality preschool means having features of Perry Preschool or the Chicago Child Parent Center programs. Uh, the same is true with some of the other reforms. Uh, that is, these are the specific ones that have been evaluated, but there are others like them that probably also have effects, but we just don't have the scientific proof for that particular program because it requires an enormous investment to do these studies, not because the, the, the programs are ineffective. Sure, sure. And, but but uh, from the research that the quality preschool programming works. Yes, and we have just consistent evidence of that. Uh, there's a recent study in New Jersey and the the, the uh, reform districts, the so-called Abbott districts, uh, that shows that at uh, I believe it's fourth grade, when you look at kids who went through the state-sponsored preschool programs in these districts, they're doing much better in school. This now again is years later, fourth grade, you know, uh, mm -hmm. than than kids who did not benefit from those programs, who did not participate in those programs. So so we know it's not just a little cute boutique type program, but here in New Jersey in the 29 uh, Abbott districts, which are the major ones, that's Newark, that's Patterson, that's Jersey City and so on. Uh, th this is an effective reform. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. And, and so, um, you know, kind of the last piece to this is, so we, we, we understand that there are different situations for uh, different communities, and the question really becomes about equity and putting in the appropriate amount of resources where it's needed. It may not be the same from place to place, but that equity is, is an issue. And one of the other components here that we really haven't touched on has to do with the role of parenting as well. And, and there's a significant portion of what you, um, you talk about here that uh, has to do with um, the, the number of books and records, audio tapes and CDs in the home. Um, and, and it has been well established for a while that, um, that in a lot of these homes um, where literacy with children come to school unprepared, uh, and not ready to learn how to read, um, that it's often because there's no reading material in the home, um, and certainly none uh, at the at the appropriate level, and, and so there's not a lot of that going on. How much does that uh, play a role here? Well, you know, in the, in the research, it certainly does play an important role because we find that kids who have not had uh, a preschool experience out, outside of the home 
uh, come to school. I'm, I'm talking about kids f from educationally disadvantaged families, from poor families, and so on, and they come to school very poorly prepared to succeed in schools as schools are currently constituted. And uh, what we find is that programs like those used in the New Jersey preschool for the, for the Abbott districts really helps get the child prepared. Now, some of that is working with parents. Uh, the potential of parents to make a difference is enormous. But a lot of parents are behind the eight ball. Many of them didn't have the parenting that, that, that they truly deserved. And so it's, a lot of it is just knowledge and know-how and, and working with parents to to help in the home. It's it's not just the um, early childhood programs, you know, in, in child, child centers, but it's also helping the family become a powerful educator for their own children. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's absolutely. And, and we... We've had a lot of experience with that. I know you've been on a, uh, a board of ed, as I have, and uh, know that you know the parents' uh, participation is absolutely uh, important. And so thanks so much, Hank, for um, uh, being here. We'd like to thank everyone, for, to everyone for, for tuning in this month, and we just ask that you join us next month um, in September, on September 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guest is going to be Ms. Nancy Meadow. She's the president of the National Association of Elementary School Principals. Uh, we'll talk with Nancy um, about the schools needed for today's entering students. Um, so, again, um, Hank, thanks for taking the time out uh, of your schedule to speak with us. And to the listeners, until next time, go well, stay well. Thanks again. Okay, thanks. It's my pleasure.